But again, this morning, I've been given the privilege and honor to open the word as our fearless leader, David, is at our LifePoint Brussels campus, leading them through their first sacred gathering. Uh, yeah, very exciting things. And uh, I can tell by the reaction that many of us know what the sacred gathering is. Uh, but for those of you who don't, this is a time where we come together as a church for three days and we fast, we pray, and we worship seeking the will of God. Uh, now, this is something we've done quite a bit. It falls about every four years, but the Lord always does extraordinary things. If it wasn't for the sacred gathering and the will of God to come in on our church, we would still be First Baptist Church, Smyrna. We wouldn't have any of our local campuses, any of our international campuses. So the Lord always does extraordinary things for it. So I would ask this week that you would pray for David as he's leading them through that, but also pray for our Brussels campus as they need to kind of buckle up and see what the Lord has in store for them. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, I would invite you to meet me in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 3. I am elated and very excited this morning to unpack with you a, a really well-known verse, John three sixteen. And I want to pause right there before you check out. Uh, this, you're like, I've heard this verse a million times. I've heard tons of sermons on it. I want you to take to heart the words of Charles Spurgeon. It says, no one ever outgrows Scripture. The book only widens and deepens with our years. So it doesn't matter how many times you hear a passage or how many times you study any certain book of the Bible. It is always profitable for correction and teaching for you and of myself. Uh, I've heard and read John 3.16 a ton of times, but this week in my study and time with it, it has worked and moved in my heart, and I hope that it does the same thing for you today. Uh, and honestly, my whole goal and, and hope this morning is that you would get that deeper understanding and that knowledge of John 3.16, and you would use that to share the gospel with your one. Um, because if we want to reach Middle Tennessee to the ends of the earth, it's not going to be it's not going to happen if we come in here, you hear from me, David, or Kurt, and then you go back home. No, what's, what's going to reach Middle Tennessee into the ends of the earth is if you guys grab the gospel, you understand the gospel, you soak in the scriptures, and you go share that with your one. It's not going to be with one speaking to thousands that we reach Middle Tennessee. It's going to be with thousands speaking to their one. But before I get into this text, I do want to ask, have you prayed for your one this week? Have you taken any steps towards them in having a gospel conversation? The one person that you want to come to know the love of Jesus. How far would you be willing to go to see their eyes open to the love of God, to receive that saving grace, to see them fall deeply in love with Jesus? So don't forget your one uh, and fight for them every single day. But let's get into the verse. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, before we unpack this powerful verse, I do want you to understand that these aren't just random words that are spoken. No, they're in a context of a conversation between Jesus and a Pharisee a, or a religious leader named Nicodemus. Uh, now, you see, Pharisees were the religious all-stars. They were the committed of the committed. Uh, they would have known the law of God like the back of their hand. They would be on the front row every single week, leading out in worship, doing all of these things. Um, 
and they would do everything they could to not break the law of God. They would even sometimes add laws on top of the law of God, so that way they would get nowhere near breaking the law of God. But they missed one critical thing. They thought that because they could keep these laws or because they had this quote-unquote favor that, could make, that would make them right before God, and that is not biblical. And Nicodemus himself was the elite of the elite. He was extremely intelligent. Uh, this man had more degrees than a thermometer. Um, yes, got to get that dad joke in. It's got to happen. We got two weeks. We got two weeks. She's coming quick. I got to start storing those away so I can embarrass her when she gets here. Um, he had all of these degrees and all of this knowledge, yet he didn't know Jesus intimately. So I want to go, what I want to do is I want to go back up to John 3, verse 1, and read down to verse 16. So that way you have a fuller picture and an understanding of what this conversation is and it's taking place. So let's go back up to verse 1 and dive back in. It says this. Now there was a man of the Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind, blows from, uh, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with every, everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you. We speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's an amazing, amazing, rich gospel passage. Uh, so one night, Nicodemus went to Jesus. And honestly, I think he went at night for a strategic reason, but we can save that for another sermon. Uh, but Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says to him, I know you are a teacher come from God, no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. And this statement from Nicodemus kind of cracks the door a little bit, and Jesus steps through it to say to him that he isn't just a teacher that has come from God, but he is God that has come as a teacher. And this is a huge, huge concept that we have to understand. We have to know that Jesus isn't simply a good man that did a lot of good things. He is the holy perfect and righteous son of God. He is God in the flesh. Think about it this way. When I met my wife, Alexis, I obviously thought she was super hot and I wanted to talk to her, okay? 
Yeah, a little embarrassment for her. It's okay, though. I thought she was hot, and I wanted to talk to her. But what I didn't do was send someone else to go talk to her for me. I didn't send someone else later on to, to go tell her that I loved her. I didn't send someone else to go tell her how I felt about her. I didn't send someone else to go get down on one knee and ask her to marry me for me. I didn't send someone else because in matters of love, one must go himself. And this is a concept that you have to grasp. We have a God who so deeply loves his people that he came himself to save you. He came himself. He didn't send this prophet or that prophet or this messenger or that messenger. He sent himself to show his infinite love for us. This is the beautiful message of Christianity and the concept that John 3.16 explains so beautifully, which makes up first point that I want you to know in communicating the gospel with your one you have to communicate Jesus is God in the flesh. He isn't just some good dude. He is God. He is God. So we have that understanding that Jesus is God, which means he is holy, he is pure, and he is righteous. But if you look at John 3, verses 3 through 4, Nicodemus understands that fact. But what he is wrestling with is the fact that him being a Jewish or a religious elite doesn't make him right with God. Or the fact that he can keep all these rules, all these statutes, doesn't make him right before God. So he asked Jesus, what actually does make man right before a holy God? And I'm sure that when you're sharing the gospel with your one, they will, they will make a statement or ask a question along the lines of, I've done this, this, and this. I've held the door open for my grandma or helped my dad across the street. I've carried groceries out. I've done all of these things because what the world does is it helps us to create this moral standard that says you can get to heaven on your own, that says you can climb the ladder, per se, into heaven, which that is not biblical. That is not biblical. So take a look at what Jesus says on how to be reborn. He says, you must be born again. He says, you must be born of water and spirit. And Jesus, in this text, he's making a reference to an Old Testament passage that a religious leader and elite like Nicodemus should have caught. But he's referencing Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27, which says this. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart. With a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So 600 years before Jesus, Ezekiel promised that God would cleanse his people from their sin making them right before God. So you have to be cleansed of your sin, and the only way to do that is by faith in Jesus. And when you have faith, you are invaded with the transforming power of the Holy Spirit that begins to make you more like God. Ooh, make some water. Make you more like God. Which leads me to my second point that you can share with your one uh, when sharing the gospel with John 3, 16. It's that because of their sin, they are separated from God and need saving from the wrath of God that is due because of that sin. Now, another conversation you'll end up having is what in the world is even sin? 
A lot of people, it doesn't make sense to them. They don't have a concept of it. So therefore, you have to understand what sin is to share the gospel with them. Sin is a direct violation of the law of God. When we sin, what we do is we spit in the face of God. When we sin, we say that God's law does not apply to us. We say that we are above his law or outside of his law, and we don't have to answer to it. When we sin, we have this tendency to say, I have my own law, I have my own desires, I have my own will, and that's what I'll answer to. I don't have to worry about you, God. I don't need to answer you. When the sad reality is we all have to answer to God. So let me ask you this. Have you ever had someone spit in your face before? I haven't. I haven't. But I would be so mad. <laughs> uh, we would probably fight, and I would not be able to preach the word here on Sunday mornings because I would probably lose my job. Uh, because think about it. What, what is someone saying to you when they spit in your face? That you don't matter, that you're futile, you're tiny, nothing you do matters. It's degrading. To me, it's probably one of the most disrespectful and degrading things that someone can do to me, that someone can do to me. So you spin that on its head. With our sin, we spit in the face of God. We spit in the face of God. We say that his will does not matter, that he does not know anything. The very one who gives us the saliva to even form the very one who allows our muscles in our mouth to work, to actually spit, we use those things that he's given us to spit into his face. That is what we're doing when we are sin. So church, please hear me say this. If you literally hear nothing else that I say this morning, say, hear this. Do not minimize the sin that is in your life. Because if you minimize your sin, you minimize the holiness of our God. Because your sin is the gravest thing against a holy God. Understand that. Fight your sin. Kill your sin. Do not minimize it. Do not minimize your sin. Because when you do that, you minimize the holiness of our God. This is a reality that we must wrap our minds around. Because, like I said, sin is absolutely nothing to play with. And before God brings us to life by saving us, Ephesians 2 says we are dead in our trespasses and sins. The key word there, dead. You are dead in your trespasses and sin. Not partially alive, not one eye open, not waiting for Jesus. No, you are dead. And the reality is if we are in an ocean of sin, we are not kicking to stay afloat. We are not slowly sinking. You are dead. You are a corpse in the bottom in the deepest part of the Mariana Trench wrapped up in the weeds, and we are walking this earth with no clue that the wrath of God is directed at us if we are not covered by the blood of Jesus. So the fact that we see God so loved the world, it should blow our minds. Here we have a holy God. In this statement, God so loved the world, we have a holy God loving a sinful, rebellious, and God-hating people, the world. The world in this passage is not referring to the lovely things about our world. It's not referring to sunsets, beach vacations, and rainbows and things like that. It's talking about the brokenness and rebellion of our world. It's talking about the sinfulness that we just talked about. 
So whenever you see the world mentioned in John's gospel, as well as some of the other letters he wrote, it is almost always in a negative light. It is a negative thing to be called of the world. For example, John 3.19 says the world loves darkness. John 7.7 references the world hating Jesus. John 15 says the world hates followers of Jesus. John 14 talks about the world not only hating Jesus, but also the spirit of God. John 16 talks about how the world rejoices when the people of God weep. And John 17 says the world doesn't even know God. And there are more that I could list, but I'm sure that you're kind of understanding this picture by now. So when Jesus comes and he saves us, what he is doing is he is reaching down to the depths of the ocean and ripping up a dead corpse from the weeds. He is placing us on dry land and he is breathing into us the breath of life. It is all God. God is the one who saves and it is in him alone that he stirs up our affection for him and he stirs up repentance within our hearts. You can't do anything to earn salvation. You can't be good enough to get to heaven. You need to be saved by God. It is in Christ alone, by faith alone, that we spend eternity with God. Nicodemus didn't get this. He couldn't make the connection. And this is why Jesus explained in a deeper way, in a deeper meaning, by referring to another Old Testament passage, Numbers 21, when he said this in verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. In the context of this reference, the Israelites were complaining about how God was taking care of them in the wilderness after he got them out of Egypt. And this honestly would be like if you bought your child a shiny brand new car and they came out and complained about the color of it. I see some parents like, whoo. <laughs> Look what G the Lord does. So what does God do? He sends snakes to bite them all. And they begin to slowly die. Students, just take the car. Okay. <laughs> Don't complain. It's not worth it. You don't want to be bit by snakes, okay? Just take the car. But God also instructs Moses to place a bronze snake on a pole and lift it up so that those who were bitten could look upon that and they would be healed. They would no longer die. It's a matter of faith, which leads me to my third point in that you could use to communicate the gospel to your one through John 3.16. It's that we have to repent and have faith in Jesus. We have faith that he is who he says he is and that he conquered sin and death on the cross when he was high and lifted up. Jesus said, like the snake, he'd be lifted up on the cross to heal us from the fatal bite of sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When Jesus hung on the cross, he took all of our sin and suffered the penalty that was due for it. And that was the wrath of God poured out on him. When Christ is lifted up on the cross, we can see the, visibly the penalty for our sin. We can see the cost that was paid to be redeemed. 
and we look upon Jesus Christ crucified with faith and understanding that he has finished what was needed to be done. We have faith when we look upon him and we are born again and we are made new. When this happens, it's a supernatural and miraculous act in which the Holy Spirit opens our eyes. He gives us faith. He cleanses you from your sin. He changes your identity. He changes your destiny. He changes everything about you. Before you are saved, you are an enemy of God. When Christ saves you, you are now a friend of God. Before you are saved, you are separated from God. Then when you are saved, you are eternally present with God. You are dead to God when you are a sinner, but you are alive to sin. And when you are saved by Christ, you are dead to sin and alive to Christ. This is why John 3.16 is the absolutely perfect verse for you to share the gospel with your one. It starts with God and it ends with life. Church, understand he is the only one, the only one, the way, the truth, and the life that can get us to heaven. There's no moral standard. There's no deed that you can do. It is only by a faith in God in the work that Jesus did on the cross. So let's recap John 3, 16. I'm gonna walk through this passage and break it down. And the if, verse will be up on the screen or you can read it in your Bibles. For God, the creator and sustainer of all things, so loved, meaning that he looked upon a sinful and rebellious, God-hating people with love and compassion. The world, a sinful and rebellious, God-hating people that he gave. He crucified and poured out his wrath upon his only son. God in the flesh, holy, righteous, and pure, the spotless lamb, Jesus Christ, that whoever, this is a huge point, that whoever, this is not simply for the religious elite, the gospel is for murderers. It is for slanderers, for addicts, for drug dealers, for grandmas, grandpas, young and old, from here until the ends of the earth. We have teams right now that are all over the world. And at this very moment, the gospel is being communicated to a young child in a favela in the middle of Brazil that literally has nothing. Are they worthy of the gospel? Absolutely. I don't care what you've done in your life. I don't. <laughs> you have to understand that you have been created by God to worship him. He knit you together in your mother's womb. This is a concept that is being brought to my eyes like never before, that my daughter, Florence, right now, I know less about her than I actually do know about her. 
but my heavenly father knows everything about her. He knows her eye color, what her hair will be, the kind of attitude that she will have, the decisions that she will make in life. I pray it's a good one. <laughs> the decisions that she will make in life. And he looks upon her as worthy of the gospel. Because when she's born, she's separated from God. No matter how cute she is, she needs the gospel. So every single person that is in Middle Tennessee to the ends of the earth that is written on this board that you said you would share the gospel with is worthy to hear the gospel. So that whoever literally means whoever would believe in him, that they would look upon Jesus Christ crucified and his faith and the atoning work of his death on the cross. Believe that he finished what was needed to be done, that he paid the penalty. Should not perish, but have eternal life. <laughs> that is, again, a beautiful thing because death no longer is something that believers fear. It turns from this scary, un sure thing to a gateway that I get to be in the presence of my heavenly father. A day that I long for to see and worship the creator and sustainer of all things. What a powerful verse. And I, I, I pray and hope that you no longer look at a well-known text in Scripture and blow by it. The roots of the gospel and the roots of our God and the roots of his word run far deeper than we could ever imagine. That is why, Spurgeon said, the book only widens and deepens with our years because we begin to understand bigger concepts about our God. And the beautiful thing is, you will never know everything about God. So therefore, we must be diligent in wringing out the word. And allow that diligence in the water that you drink from the word. Let it embolden you to share the gospel with your one. I'll be vulnerable for a moment. The one I want to share the gospel with is my brother. And he needs the gospel. He's worthy of the gospel. So the person that is on that board, I want you to think about daily. There's mom written on that board. Dad is written on that board. Brothers and sisters and friends, grandparents, cousins, <laughs> classmates are written on that board. What are we doing to share the gospel with them? This one verse has massive implications for every single person. And I plead with you, I plead with you, if you are in this room tonight, or tonight, this morning, 
student services coming up. <laughs> this morning, that you would hear the gospel and believe that Jesus is who he says he is. You have to understand that you are separated from God and there is absolutely nothing that you can do to earn his favor. You can't be good enough. You can't do enough nice things. You can't have all of the rules and laws of God memorized and uphold those to earn the favor of God. The only thing that you can do is believe and have faith in Jesus. That on the cross, he paid the penalty for your sin. Jesus Christ the one who was born of a virgin that never sinned. He was tempted in every way that we were, yet he never sinned. The one who allowed man to have wood, he allowed man to be able to, to have tools to fashion it in the shape of a cross. He is the one who allowed man to have metal or iron and hammers. and was crucified on the very thing he gave to man. If you think about the crucifixion for a moment, that is the most painful way you can die. That's why the word excruciating was made to give some kind of dialogue or example and telling about how painful being nailed to a cross actually is. you would have to press up on your feet to try to get a breath of air. And then you would slide back down the cross. Jesus did this with his back laid open. So as he's pushing up and down on the cross, he is getting deep splinters in the raw flesh and meat of his back. While he was being mocked and spit upon and screamed at, Crucify him, crucify him. Yet still, he looks at us and says, I love you. And even though you don't know it now, what, am I, what I am doing on the cross is so that way you can have life. So I pray that you would adhere to that, that you would look upon Jesus high and lifted up, and that you would believe in him. And believers in this room, I pray that you would never neglect the gospel. The very thing that saved you. Because it too is something that will only widen and deepen as you understand more about God, as you understand what exactly he did, he did to purchase you. And may it be something that emboldens you. May it be something that gives you confidence. Because the salvation of your one does not depend on you. Depends on Jesus. But you have to speak the gospel to them. You have to plant the seed and pray. Continue to have gospel conversations. Let the gospel be something that reminds you daily of what God saved you from. Never forget your sinful past. Don't do that. 
Yes, it has been washed white as snow. Yes, it has been, the debt has been paid. But you can't forget what God had to do to pay that debt, to save you from your sin. Because when you do that, it will only drive you deeper into the scriptures. It will only drive you to the feet of Jesus. It will only drive you to a deeper intimacy with our God. So do not forget the gospel. Church, I, I, I'm thankful to be a part of LifePoint. I'm thankful for you all. Whether I know you or not, you are here this morning. And that says a lot. And I pray that John 3.16 would be a verse that you do know that is well-renowned but has a deeper meaning in your heart now so that way you can share the gospel using John 3.16 with your one. Let's pray. Father, you are holy, you are righteous, and you are pure. And we are so undeserving to even be able to communicate with you. Yet here we are. Father, your faithfulness never wavers. Your will is never wrong. You are sovereign over all things. And God, I pray for each and every person in this room now that as we pray to you, God, I pray that you would begin to move in their hearts for the person in this room that does not know you. I pray that you save them now that you begin to stir up conviction in their hearts, that they understand that their sin is a real thing against a holy God. And there is a debt to be paid. It will either be paid by them or it will be paid by your son, Jesus. And I pray that they seek your son, Jesus, that they seek you and that they would be saved. Father, for the believer. God, may your word taste so sweet. May we taste and see that you are good. And may we be so emboldened to carry the gospel that no matter the links we have to go to, no matter the hard conversations we have to have, no matter if the person we're sharing the gospel with wants to hear it or not, that we would so speak the gospel, your gospel. And Father, I pray for the ones that are on this board that you would begin softening their hearts to hear the gospel, that it would take root in their hearts. Father, uh, I can't thank you enough for our church and all your faithfulness in it. Father, may we be a people that shouts your name from the mountaintops, that proclaims your word, that we proclaim Jesus Christ crucified, the only hope in life and death, 
the fact that we are not our own, that we belong, mind, soul, and body to our Savior, Creator, and Lord Jesus Christ, God our Father. May that mean something to us. May we leave this room and go into our week feeling the burden of the lost. It hopes that we seek them out and share the gospel with them. Father, we love you and we praise you in your precious and holy name. I pray. Amen.